are you guys doing out there in Geek Vibe Nation? This is your good friend Dane on another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Open your one eye very big like the great NATO as we go into a little bit of a, a, a different episode. I mean, we had an episode where we kind of talked about New Japan and why people should get into it. Uh, but me and, of course, my co-host, um, how are you doing, Christopher, tonight? I am doing wonderful, and I am stoked to talk some G1 New Japan. Absolutely. Uh, and like I said, we, we definitely turned some people on, which I'm very happy to hear, about New Japan, uh, because it's been a learning experience for myself. I mean, I kind of, even with WWE starting over again and getting into it and getting in with the new storylines right before WrestleMania, so I still had like that last year's, uh, New Japan's a completely different beast, uh, just like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching Global Force Wrestling. I'm trying to expand my wrestling because... Well, let's face it, I love wrestling, and I, I, I have nothing else better to do at nighttime sometimes. So might as well watch some amazing professional wrestling. Well, hopefully it's amazing. But, uh, yeah, we're just happy to present some stuff about New Japan. They had the G1 Climax that's still going. Uh, how, many, how many days are they at, uh, Chris, 16? 16 is the la- my last. That is where I'm at, and I think the last count. As far as I'm sure, I think they may be wrestling again tonight. I don't know because I don't have the schedule pulled up directly in front of me, but I do know that we've had 16 full nights of the G1 in results with some amazing fucking matches. So I'm excited. Yeah, and um, all right, so how many nights is it? And uh, what was I going to say? Is it true that these guys basically have been wrestling every night because either they're in a premier fight or a premier match? Or well, until they get eliminated, obviously is what I'm saying. But like for the most part, for the beginning, they're either in a premier match or they're in some sort of tag match that has to do with that next upcoming match every night, and they have to be very conditioned. So how many nights is it, and uh, what do you have to say about that whole concept? Wow. So as as far as exactly how many nights, I want to say it's a total of 18 shows or 19 shows somewhere in there. Basically, it spans from July 17th to August 13th, and to put it this way, we're already on the 16th night, probably going into the 17th tonight. I'm not 100% sure on that, but we're talking a lot of wrestling in a very short period of time because they're doing you know one-day breaks, two-day breaks, and uh, these aren't short WWE TV matches that they're having. Some of these guys are having a 30-limit 30-minute time limit draws, 24-minute matches. 30-minute Broadway, baby. Um, yeah, so we got a lot of really crazy stuff going on. These guys are putting their bodies, hearts, and souls on the line, so to speak, and it's uh, it's been one hell of a tournament. I'll, I'll put it at even above last year's, which was fucking incredible. They have so many great workers right now. I am absolutely stoked to talk about this year's. I, I, I thought it's been absolutely amazing. Um and the fact that these guys can do this, we're talking about a giant tournament where everyone basically faces everyone in their block, and we're going to go into the rules here in a bit. But, man, just for all these people to be able to get so many good matches out of so many different opponents, it's just incredible what their roster can do, what they've put their bodies through thus far. And, um, man, just this whole thing has got me so stoked about wrestling again um, that I have to calm myself down before I watch, you know, Global Force. <laughs> Myself on a yeah. back in the normalized mode of okay, this is not a G one event, but uh it's been awesome. I- I've loved everything about this uh tournament thus far. Well I I I don't blame you at all. Um 
I'm enjoying it myself too, and I think that these guys are ridiculously conditioned athletes. Uh, like I said, they're basically wrestling for the most part, especially the uh, guys that you know keep on advancing. Uh, they're doing it. Uh, they're, they're wrestling every every night, is what I'm trying to say. It's just a these guys have to stay in shape to be able to do that. And for anyone listening, uh, you know this G1 tournament in particular is a good tournament. I think to start off. You know, it's it's a lot. It's a lot, and I will admittedly say that I'm not watching the tag matches anymore. They were a lot of fun and entertaining, and if you want to get to know the factions, which is a very important thing with New Japan, is there different factions, I would say watch them. I mean, I, I, I witnessed uh, Suzuki the first night, I believe, maybe the second No, no, it was the first night, yes, where he just went ape shit, went after Kenny Omega, and was like just, you know, dragging him through the audience, beating the crap out of him. I mean you really get to find out and learn all the major stars in New Japan, uh, including uh, their, their, one of their big guys, I would say. Well, I mean, there's many of them, but, like, this is Yuji Nagata's last tournament. So I, I would definitely urge people to try it out. But uh, let's get over – let's get some uh, news in real quick uh, before we go over that. Oh, right, just a couple small things, and I'm going to call this the good, the bad, and the I don't give a shit. Uh, it's a new segment I'm going to be doing from time to time. Actually, I might do it again, and I might never do it ever again, so you'll find out from this. But uh, I'm going to go to Chris. He'll give his reason, and then it'll come back to me, and obviously I'll do that and we'll go forward. All right, uh, Chris, unfortunately both Bailey and Scott Dawson are injured. Is that going to hinder uh, SummerSlam and, uh, you know, the injury rate? Is it getting worse within WWE? Uh, I'm going to say this is the bad because it's not, I don't give a shit because I care about both of those wrestlers and I cared about the programs that they were in for different reasons. Um, More specifically, Scott Dawson than uh, Bailey. Uh, I think it's a big setback for the revival uh, being that he's just, I think, I can't remember if it was him or not, but one of them is coming off of a a broken jaw, I believe, that kept him out for a while. It's like every. Yeah, every time they get a little bit of a push, someone on their team gets injured. And I don't think it's because they're working um, stiff or anything crazy. I think it's just, just a string of bad luck that they're hitting, which kind of sucks because they're they're a pretty damn good tag team um, who I really looked forward uh, to having a feud with the Hardys. I thought that's definitely where they were going with this. I, I thought they were building, you know, two Hardys versus the Revival, uh, whether it be on the pre-show or on – the actual pay-per-view itself at SummerSlam, I thought that would have been something very, very cool. And it seems like they're going to have to dial that back. He's going to be out for a while. Uh, the Bailey shoulder injury is ugly for a different reason, which is Nia Jax injured her. And if anyone's been listening to this podcast for a while, they know I've been saying that Nia Jax is going to hurt somebody. Nia Jax is going to hurt somebody. Nia Jax is going to hurt somebody. And she fucking, she hurt Bailey. And now Bailey's out with a shoulder injury. Uh, I think the way that they handled the number one contendership afterwards with those uh, with Sasha and Nia going straight into a match against the West of Bliss is not the best idea of all time. Nia, being that Nia just hurt one of their top stars, you're going to put her against two of your top stars. I don't necessarily think that's the best idea in the world. Um, and well, uh, correct me for if me I'm all wrong, around. But I thought that now Nia and um whatchamacallit, uh, Sasha Banks are having a match next week, and the winner of that goes against Alexa Bliss. I might be completely wrong, because I kind of tune in and out of the program. 
No, I think I'm, no. I, now that I think about it, I think you are right. But I feel like somehow that's going to turn into a three-way match because that's not where they wanted to go. Uh, I feel like they want to keep that title on Alexa right now, and to they don't necessarily want Sasha to take a, a clean loss. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's three-way. So I may just be thinking outside of the box here a little bit um, too early. But, but um. Yeah, I just I don't know. Even still, even still, like say if you want Nia, Nia versus Alexa, she just injured Bailey, and now you're putting her against two people that are actually smaller than Bailey, who she can toss around, which is a scary thought if she injures everyone on your roster. I I honestly just don't think that she's ready to be in the position that she's put in, and they rush her through matches because they don't give the females enough time to work matches on Raw with the exception of, like, if you have a Charlotte versus uh, Sasha match, which we haven't seen in a while because they're on separate brands now. But all around, I mean, I think this this whole situation's ugly. I think it would have been a good time to maybe bring up Asuka, which I know they're not going to do, but to have Asuka versus your champ and, and put Asuka over and have maybe her versus uh, Sasha and her versus Bailey, And then down the line, Nia would probably be better. But honestly, I think the best thing they could do for Nia is take her off TV for a little bit and try to get a, I don't want to say a big woman, but a someone that wrestles a stronger style for her size, like a stronger woman, uh, to train her a little bit. Someone like uh, Karma or Awesome Kong, as we know her, or um, Alundra Blaze back in the day would have been a good example, even though she's not nowhere near the size of Nia. Or Tamina. Uh, yeah, Tamina would be another good one. She just she just wrestles very, very stiff, and part of her moveset is similar to Braun Strowman, but the difference is she's, she's throwing people, but she doesn't care how they land in a weird sense. It kind of scares – it's like when people were throwing Enzo like that for a while. It's like it's, it's dangerous, um, and if you're doing it on house shows and night after night, it becomes a – you know, it can become an issue like it did with – her and I knew as soon as as soon as it happened, I was like she dislocated her shoulder. I was wrong; she separated her shoulder. But um, Bailey came up yeah. in that that spot right off the bat in sheer pain. And the fact that she finished the match, props to her. And I'm not the biggest Bailey fan in the world, and I didn't really care about the storyline continuing between her and Sasha and whether she's going to turn heel or stay face. But it's still ugly as far as where the title picture is at because they just put her over Sasha Banks. So now Sasha Banks looks weak, and then she got injured in a match against Nia. So the common fan is going to look at that, or like your normal everyday fans, like, well, Nia hurt her, and then she came out and cut a promo about how Nia Jax hurt her. So from a a normal fan perspective, someone who doesn't read into this kind of thing, it's like, well, if she beat Sasha and Nia Jax put her out of commission, then, like, obviously Nia Jax should be number one contender, and I don't see them going that way. So it's just... It's just ugly all around. Oh. No, I agree. And it, uh, I mean, this is the first time I was kind of ch- that I've been cheering for Bailey, if you will, uh, since her, you know, jump to Maine, just because I it was out of nowhere. I didn't think she was going to have a shot, you know, uh, winning the couple matches that she did in a row and then getting this number one contender spot. But she did, and uh, it does kind of suck, and I do agree with you. Uh, Strowman, he – I will give him a lot of credit because he became good in a very short amount of time. And if people don't understand that, when he throws Roman Reigns, he knows what he's doing to make him slide or, or I mean, and you got to see the amount of, 
I don't know how you pick up someone like Roman Reigns and just hurl him like it's nothing. Obviously, Roman's doing a lot of the work himself, too, but he's safe about it. He's not, you know, well, chucking, I guess not a good example is chucking a uh, computer desk chair at your head, but for the most part, Braun's a hell of a lot safer than Nia is with the females. It just seems like she's kind of running through them, and she needs to kind of, like, learn how to pace herself and kind of not, like, you know, tort their body around like they're an action figure they're trying to break. I don't know. But anyways, I will debate that that is the greatest throw I've ever seen in my life of a chair. The fact that he got the shoulders perfectly around Roman Reigns' arms so that Roman could get his hands up and threw that thing like a lawn dart, some great pro wrestling. It was amazing. It's a, it was amazing. <laughs> let, me, let me just say that. All right, uh, let's go over roster cuts. Also, I give that a bat, by the way. I'm not even doing my own fucking thing. Roster cuts are uh, apparently in the works of WWE, the first one being Eva Marie. Uh, I don't even know Eva Marie. She was before I actually came into it. I know that apparently a lot of people, uh, there's been rumors, and I think Dave Metzler is the one who was the first one to say it, possibly, uh, that the uh, the what they had lined up for her before they stopped her was something similar to what they're now doing with Lana. Um, but... I don't really know. I just know that apparently she was someone that even admitted that she wasn't even a big fan of wrestling, and she was, you know, they they were exploiting her with the whole Total Divas thing. So I don't really give a care. Now, the fact that there is more roster cuts, i got to say this got to be a bad, um, just because uh, people like Dolph Ziggler is someone I could think of, which, if the rumors are true, trying to get over to New Japan, there, there's going to be cuts, and we're going to be seeing a lot of them uh, lately. What do you think about this, Chris? I'm going to say it's probably good because it's going to free up some of these guys like Dolph Ziggler to do something somewhere else. I think Dolph needs a change. I think somewhere like Global Force could be a huge platform for him, Um, even if he didn't want to do the New Japan route and maybe just want to kind of chill. I mean, he's made his money. He's been a champion in WWE. There's a lot they could do with him. He still has a very strong fan base. I'm not necessarily the biggest Dolph Ziggler fan, but I I do see that he's a good wrestler in the ring. I think he... um, does too much sometimes and kind of oversells a bit, which is my problem with him. And and people say that about Kenny Omega too. So just take it for what it is. It's just how I see him when I see him wrestle. And it is what it is specifically Royal Rumbles or battle Royals, that kind of thing where he just continuously pulls Shawn Michaels. gets repetitive. Um, I do think he's a good wrestler. He can kind of work with anyone. I think he'll be good wherever he goes. I think his best fit is probably global force. Um, just based off what I saw him do with Nakamura, I don't know that he can – I don't know that he's going to be great at working that style. I could be completely wrong, but him going to Global Force and being the top guy there, uh, similar to what Christian and Kurt Angle could do, would be huge for Global Force, and I'm sure he could make good money doing that and work half as much. So, And then he could probably still work indies because of the TNA or uh, Global Force contract. So I don't see it's a bad thing for him. I think that's good for him. Uh, some of the roster cuts they've made thus far is not a huge loss. The Talking Smack cut, I thought that was a dumb idea because I thought it was a pretty cheap show to make. Uh, as far as Eva Marie, she they've kind of positioned her out of being important on Total Divas, and she should have known her career was coming to an end as soon as she was not a main character anymore. That just gets into more of the reality TV side of things. Her last big, or at least for me, her last big thing that she did was kind of a weird love angle between her 
Zack Ryder and uh, John Cena on Raw, which is a very strange thing, and ended up with her pushing, I, I believe, pushing Zack Ryder off a ledge when he was in a cast and kind of doing the Alicia Fox crazy kiss John Cena thing while they were trying to keep John Cena a good guy. So to me, like, I've seen her wrestle. She wasn't anything to be super impressed by. I think there's a lot better people on NXT. I think the women's division is a lot stronger, and I think they're slowly moving past that mentality of they. I mean, of course, they need the Lanas in the world. Uh, not that Lana has done terrible in the ring. I think she's actually doing pretty good considering how quickly they tried to get her up to speed. But they need like people like Lana to keep Total Divas around and, and do stuff with Total Divas, and that's understandable. Um, but they shouldn't be the focus of your show, and Eva Marie's never going to be the focus of the show. And I think since Total Bellas came out, she's like not even the focus of Total Divas. So if she gets you know sent off or whatever, you know, so be it. Hopefully she'll land somewhere on her feet. I don't wish any harm to her or harm to her career. I'm sure that she's made decent money with Total Divas. But, um, I mean, I could see her put it, them putting her in a Maria Canales-type situation in Global Force because they'll just rewrite that same thing and give her a husband or whoever her husband is or, or do something weird where they can use her in an announcing position. She's just not a great wrestler. She's probably weaker than Lana, which makes sense for Lana to take that spot. Uh, people can complain about Lana, but if you go back and watch like an Alicia Fox, Eva Marie match, you're going to be sorely wrong. So to me, I think this is good, all accounts. I think it, I think it's actually good for the WWE to shed her uh, from 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 the roster because she's only there for one thing and one thing only, which is that show. And I also think uh, it's good just to get rid of some dead weight, and I wouldn't necessarily say it's all dead weight. I would say some of it is uh, is better, you know, for the other person's career. Uh, Austin Aries, I feel like they kind of shed him. They didn't really fire him. He kind of asked for his release, but he was kind of shed. So my worry is that they're going to start cutting people from 205 Live, and they don't have that much there to yeah. begin with. And that would be the thing that turns it bad, but until I see the rest of the roster cuts, what they've done thus far and the people that are rumored to be leaving, I kind of have no problem with because I feel like their career will move laterally or at least horizontally to a different company. Um, Dolph Ziggler, I think it'll be a big deal for him because I, I, they just someone there doesn't like Dolph Ziggler. It never mattered how much crowd support he got, how good he did in the ring. Someone just didn't like him. And I, the only way he's ever going to come back and be really important is if he goes somewhere else and gets super over. So hopefully for him that's the case. He goes somewhere else and gets super over, and he comes back to WWE, and he's able to tell Vince McMahon, like, I did this, now put my dick in your mouth kind of thing. So I, I, I don't, if that's I don't the think case, say that. I think that's what he should say. <laughs> but that doesn't mean he is going to say that. He's probably going to be like, give me these millions of dollars, and we're cool. Yo, man, we're cool, bro. Just give me a couple million dollars. No, I, I I completely agree with you on a lot of that stuff that you said. I mean, John Morrison's going to be, you know, he's already got a contract, obviously, with uh, AAA. Um, I don't think he's doing Lucha Underground anymore, but AAA has now a relationship with Global Force the same way uh, New Japan and, and Ring of Honor, if you will, in a way, have their relationship. There's connected organizations. And all, all those organizations allow people to travel uh, throughout the Indies based on the contract. If it's someone like a Dolph Ziggler, yeah, you put that guy on top. 
I would put him and John Morrison on top. I think Moose needs to get bumped up, but we're not going to go into global force. That's a whole entire other conversation. Maybe that's why they took the other belt off of him. Uh, but they have a lot of talent. They can get Austin Aries. They can get Eva Marie and put her with someone. Uh, Jeff Jarrett, if you're listening, man, just open up that uh, you know that the checkbook and clipping a dick with the Hardy stuff. Uh, but seriously, uh, I, I, I do agree with that. Anyways, all right. So the next one that we'll go into, apparently, Paige is going to be returning. Um, and she's at least uh, going to be cleared, and they're going to have to go through the process of trying to find a spot for her. But she'll be returning soon, unless in the last couple of days that's been completely reversed. And I apologize. But uh, how do you feel about that, Chris? Who is returning? I'm sorry, I missed the name. Paige. Paige. So she's cleared to wrestle. Have they actually said that she's going to be returning? She said she's going to be returning. So she said that she was cleared, and she they're, they're waiting on a place to put her, basically, on a radio show. And it was her and... Um, I, I need to listen to it myself, but it was her and Del Rio, and they kind of went over a lot of this stuff, and... Uh, they blamed a lot of their stuff on passion instead of uh, booze. Um, but uh, they kind of went over the, you know, a lot of the nitty-gritty of everything, and she said that she was going to be returning to WWE, and she's cleared to wrestle, and they're just trying to find a spot for her within, obviously, the storyline. That's how I think the spot, her, the spot for her is a three-way match against Nia Jax and Sasha Banks, but they're not going to do that. Uh, if they just bring her back, I guess SmackDown would be the best spot for her. In all honesty, because they, they I don't even like know. SmackDown cares, cares more about their female wrestlers. I think it's a it could be a good thing. I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing for her and Del Rio once she gets back to WWE, but it could be a good thing for WWE if they book her right. So from a business perspective, if you take this former talent who has a huge name, be it, be it negative or positive, and you push her and she does well with it, um, it's a roll of the dice, though, because you could end up with a global force situation in which you push her, and Alberto Del Rio is doing amazing, and the next thing you know, they're getting into a fight at the airport or some shit. So kind of feel like they're yeah. going to relegate her to – she may go back to NXT. I would not even be surprised if they put her in NXT against Asuka, um, give her the same pay- paycheck and put her against Asuka or something. I, I don't – know that she's going to make it to main TV. If they were going to do it, now would be the time because the title picture in Raw is so uh, fucky with that number one contender situation. That's where I would put her. But I'm going to say it's good for right now. Um, please, guys, stop, like, tell your brother to be quiet and also tell yourself and Alberto to stop getting in fights at airports for both both your career sakes because they're both good wrestlers. I don't know about them personally. Yep. I've never met either of them. But, like, as far as wrestling is concerned, they're both good wrestlers. Yeah, no more, no more alcohol for Alberto uh, El Patron or Del Rio, um, you know, so he can just completely go off on the boss of his his wife. Not the smartest concept. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I do think that's a good thing. I like what you're saying with the whole NXT concept uh, because – Paige is a big draw. Uh, she's she's a pretty big name for the female competitors. So her returning, no matter where, is going to bring some type of uh, reaction, and that's what they're going to want. It's just a matter of when the hell they can put her where. <laughs> so who knows? Um, last bit of information. 
Jumbucks, man. They're working on their campaign. They got a new uh, a T-shirt coming out um, inspired by uh, CM Punk's colors, obviously in Chicago's, for Chicago, Illinois exclusive Bullet Club shirt. And they keep on tagging CM Punk and, you know, basically trying to bait him. I know it's all good fun, uh, and I'm going to say it's probably something I don't give a shit just because of the fact that's nothing. But it's still a little bit of fun to uh, talk about and hope that somehow CM Punk comes back to Ring of Honor and starts representing the Bullet Club along with the boys. Or, even better, if that were to happen, this has all been, you know, building for a while, actually, and he comes in and screws over the Young Bucks immediately and becomes enemy number one. Who knows? Uh, it's never going to happen, though. Right, Chris? I give a shit from the standpoint of if they could use this in an angle and put on a Kenny Omega versus CM Punk match, the fan base would blow the fuck up, and I think it would be an amazing match. I think they could have a great match together. Kenny Omega can work with pretty much anyone, even though CM Punk has ring rust. He would be able to have a great match with CM Punk. Hopefully he'll tell him not to do that dumbass elbow drop that he always fucks up. But other than that, he'd have a great match with CM Punk. And uh, I hope it becomes more of the fact that, like, CM Punk's annoyed and comes back and, and faces the Bullet Club. Um, even if it's just a Ring of Honor one-off thing uh, for Big Payday or a New Japan thing or however they wanted to handle it, what I would not get your hopes up over is CM Punk coming back in any kind of capacity with New Japan unless he thinks he's going to make major money, which would mean he would essentially have to join the Bullet Club merch sells alone to equal what he would make in WWE because if he's going to come back to wrestling, WWE would offer him a ridiculous contract. I don't care that he shit all over Vince and all of the Triple H shit. All that goes away if you put a big enough dollar sign on a contract and tell him he's going to get a push. So I could be wrong, but like uh, in the immortal words of Wu-Tang Clan, cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. Dollar, dollar, bill, y'all. Yeah! So we're, oh, we're going to fucking go with that. So I'm going to say it's a good thing because I feel like the more I hear about Punk, the closer he is to coming back to wrestling. And wherever the fuck he lands, it's going to be good for whatever company. So I'm going to say as far as wrestling fans go and wrestling, especially fans of CM Punk, the fact that, you know, New Bucks are fucking with him and making him even think about wrestling is a good thing for, you know, CM Punk fans. I agree, and actually what you were saying for some reason reminded me of another superstar that everyone is clamoring to come back but is currently with WWE uh, in injury, and that would be Daniel Bryan. Um, a lot of people have speculated uh, if he's if he's cleared by many doctors himself. Um, we're going to do this right before we go in the top ten. Guys, probably not going to get over sm- around SmackDown, but a lot of stuff, uh, it will be the end of the G1, and then most of it will be about everything leading into going to SummerSlam. But uh, anyways... I just wanted to also talk to you about this since I thought about it, Chris. Um, basically, Dave Metzler was on The Observer and explaining that Dan O'Brien might not have an option in Japan because of the blocks that he has with, with WWE that people are that strict. I'm going to do my best David Metzler impression and go over this quote before I pass to you. If you have a concussion in New Japan, it, it's the same thing. They keep you out. There's no questions asked. And they don't put you back in until you pass the testing. Now, do they have this, the same stuff as they do here? Our stuff? We use the stuff that Joseph Maroon 
did with the impact testing, and whatever they do in Japan is probably the same. But when guys have concussions in Japan, they're usually out for a while. So does that mean that we need to kind of like step back on that concept? This is also if Brian wants to come back now that he's had a kid. But how do you feel about that quote from uh, Dave, Chris? What I will say about Dave Meltzer is when it comes to subjects like this, he tiptoes carefully because yeah. he's such a source for wrestling knowledge in general and a lot of people if he if he was say he goes to Japan he's already been approved by half the doctors and and WWE shut the shit down with their own doctor it's not that he's never passed any of the testing it's he did pass and he wanted to come back but WWE's under a lawsuit if he came back and something uh, terrible happened in the ring that would fall on WWE so from a financial standpoint, no, I do not, uh, you know, for, as far as the quote goes, I feel like it's more, he's, he wants to talk about it, but he doesn't actually want to talk about it. Maybe Dave's friends with Daniel Bryan. I don't know their relationship. What I would say is that Dave Meltzer has been doing this for a long time and he's been writing wrestling a long time and he knows what to talk about, when to talk about it and when to talk about a top topic and kind of tiptoe around it without actually stepping on anyone's neck. Because let's say he says something about concussion testing and a Japanese wrestler comes back early from a concussion and then dies, then he's going to lose Japanese contacts. Like, there's different situations you have to think about because this is a job, right? Yeah. So, like, his job yep. is to report on wrestling. So he's got to do it the best he can without exposing himself, exposing the business, exposing um, his contacts in both New Japan, WWE, Global Force, uh, the reason he has all this information and is able to put it out so fast and do such a great job is because he's a good guy that's well-respected that people, you know, are willing to talk to. And he's done it for years. So, you know, mad props to Dave Meltzer. Uh, I feel like that was a tiptoe statement because it, the the doctor for WWE is not ever going to pass him right now because they have a concussion lawsuit. And as long as that lawsuit's sitting out there and it's not settled, and when it does settle, it's still going to blackball people like Daniel Bryan because it'll be like the NHL settling with the Players Committee where it's like, well, if you ever had a concussion, then you complain about it that you've already, you're already getting paid out. Or anyone that claims to have a concussion, it's kind of like, you ever see the commercials for uh, mesothelioma comes on TV? Yeah where there's a fund set aside. So what happens is all that money pulls into a fund, and anyone who thinks that their career was ended by concussions from WWE, they'll hire a lawyer, he'll pull some money out of that fund, and, and that's how they work all that out. So WWE's standpoint is, like, we don't want to add one of the biggest wrestlers we've ever had to this lawsuit. So if he gets into the ring again, if we allow him into the ring again, we look irres- irresponsible as a company, and that's bad for us. Uh, that being said, Mick Foley just did some stuff in the ring uh, in Dublin with Session Moth and a few other wrestlers. Oh I believe God. Joey Ryan was there. Uh, yep. So do I think that it's very possible if Daniel Bryan wants to wrestle again, he will wrestle again? Yes. I think uh, New Japan will take five American doctors' advice over the – I think it was – he went to a bunch. So I'm not going to – there were some that said he shouldn't, and there were some that said he should so it depends on what doctor notice he takes there and whether or not New Japan's like, we can make money with this guy and we'll put him against uh, people that will take it easy on him or work a safe style. I feel like 
he knows his body better than anyone else. And if he truly Absolutely. loves wrestling, there's nothing you can do to stop him. No, yeah, I mean, he can always, anything, Chris? like, people, who, the, like, the indies don't give a fuck. Like, Daniel Bryan's not going to send it, like, sue an indie company. So if he just really loves wrestling, he can go wrestle a bingo hall like Joey Ryan, or he can go wrestle for PWG, or he can go wrestle. There's a ton of other places that he can wrestle with as much money as he's made in his career and not yeah. give a single fuck. But, it's just a matter of, you know, WWE's not going to do it because they're a big business, and as soon as you add a huge name to a lawsuit like that, it, it looks bad on them. Yeah, no, no, and I, I agree with you. And, I mean, uh, it, it all comes down to Daniel Bryan. And, like I said, he knows the ramifications. And we've seen what he's been working on for his new style, which seems like a very safer style, but still stuff can happen in the ring, obviously. Um, but I asked a couple months ago about this. Brian said, I'm working on it. Wrestling is more of a creative outlet, and especially someone like me, I view it as a creative outlet. Not all WWE superstars and not all wrestlers view it that way, but that's how I view it, and that's one of my uh, ways to be creative within my mind. So hopefully we'll see Daniel Bryan back. If he wants to come back, we'll just have to wait and see. Let's go over what our top tens now of we're about to go into a lot of stuff with New Japan, guys, so uh, we thought that we'd start off by going over some of our favorite wrestlers. Um, I basically, this list would have been differently if it wasn't for the G1 because I was exposed to some of the, uh, well, some of them are not that much older, but the, the last, uh, the previous generation's uh, wrestlers uh, within there. So uh, basically, I'm going to go from 10 until 5, uh, then you'll or 10 until 6. You're going to do that too, Chris. I'll go in 5 to 1, and then you'll do it like we've done before in the past. Uh, so, first of all, I want to start off with the uh, Unchained Gorilla, uh, Togi uh, Makabe. Um, big brute, uh, fun to watch. It's it's weird. He kind of reminds me of this combination. I'm, I'm going to do, honestly, and I, I think that, well, I don't, I don't know what Chris is going to do personally, but with me, relaying uh, certain wrestlers to other wrestlers is a good way for me to in short term, explain uh, their gimmick or their or their concept to people that don't know anything about them. So that's that's kind of why I do it. I, I just do it off the hand. But uh, it's it's it kind of like a he's definitely like a brute, uh, and he he's definitely like that type of style. But he's like more like Brock Lesnar meets Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, very very strange concept. Weird look, but he does look like a fucking gorilla. So I know where he gets his uh, his title from. He's a big uh, fan of his. Uh, number nine is Tamatanga. This man talks a lot of shit. Um, you know, people put him, I guess, and I'm pretty sure they're related. Well, actually, he's the adopted son of Ming, and I'm not sure if Ming's related to the same lineage of with Roman Reigns. But people compare him to Roman Reigns. He reminds me more of uh, Roman's uh, shield buddy, uh, Seth Rollins, in style than Roman, so maybe they put that because they're both, uh, you know, Islanders. Uh, I, I I don't really know. Number eight, Suzuki. Holy shit. Did not really know about this guy. This guy is scary, menacing, has that type of concept that Abdul the Butcher or a uh, Sabu would have. Uh, you know, they call him the homicidal maniac as well. So that reminded me of him, Mick, or Cactus Jack, if you will. And he's a freaking MMA fighter. He's got like a 39 out of 59 win-loss ratio in MMA, which is pretty impressive. He's fought Bass Rutten and, and, and Ken Shamrock, so definitely liked him within this. Uh, seven, Yuji Nagata. 
it's kind of, and I'm not just doing this because he puts his eyes in the back of his head, but he's, he's very much kind of like their undertaker, like their big guy that's been around the company for a very long time. At least that's what I got from it. Six is Kota Ibushi, a.k.a. Tiger Mask W. I hope I didn't ruin that for anyone uh, that didn't know that they were the same person, but they are. Kota Ibushi's incredible. A lot of people may know him from the Cruiserweight Classic. I'm a big fan of his style, uh, his performance. The guy's in his mid-30s and looks like he's like 18. Like, he's a genetic freak, too. And either as either character, love seeing him work. I love seeing him work with his past tag uh, team partner, Kenny Omega, uh, which a lot of people don't know. He, much, he very much has a relationship, if you were to compare him to Tiger Mask, with Tiger Mask, with Dynamite Kid, he does it with Kenny. They just, just have this unbelievable chemistry. But that is 10 through 6. Chris, what is your 10 through 6 here? Christopher? I'm still Chris, here. Sorry, that was on mute. My fault. Yeah, yeah, I'm back. Uh, sorry, my uh, my 10 through 6 is a little different than yours. Uh, I do have some of the same people, but I also have some people that probably didn't get mentioned. Uh, top uh, the, the number 10 spot goes to the Young Bucks. Uh, I put them in as a tag team because I think they are – not not only great workers in the ring, but imperative to New Japan's push in America. So I feel like they needed to make this list. Uh, number nine, Cody Rhodes. I think Cody Rhodes' work in Ring of Honor in New Japan, specifically his match against Okada, was pretty, pretty good stuff. Uh, and I've always liked Cody Rhodes, and I, I hope he does well for himself, so I put him on this list. Uh, Yuji Nagata makes the list for me. Once similar to Dane, uh, I've seen Nagata's matches in the past. I, I, I knew who UG was. But this tournament kind of turned the corner on me because I think, I, I like, on my list of matches I have for top of the tournament, his name shows up two or three times out of the 16 nights. So I he ended up making my list simply because of this tournament. Uh, I put Juice Robinson up there. I feel like he's an underrated guy. Who really, uh, who's really kind of coming up into his own and his wrestling style, and I think he's got a unique look, and I think he's a really good wrestler and can do a lot for the company uh, as far as New Japan goes, specifically in America and um, with them trying to expand. And then uh, I guess number six, I have Tamatonga. Tamatonga single-handedly in this G1 has turned me completely around with him uh, as far as, like, his promos. I think his promo work has been great. I think uh, even his Twitter posts have been good. His in-ring work has been really, really awesome. Uh, so that was my top six with uh, Young Bucks, Cody Rhodes, Yuji Nagata, Juice Robinson, and Tamatanga. Yeah, a lot of these guys are pretty amazing. And I just want to mention that with me when I was doing it, and I completely understand – why Chris didn't do it, because these guys have been draws in New Japan, so it makes sense to include them. But with the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes, I kind of put them in the Ring of Honor category so I can have more room for some of the other Japanese wrestlers on my list, uh, just to throw that out there. But let me go through my five until one. Uh, five is a man of one name. Uh, very, very, very strange. Uh, Sonata. Um, Love this guy in the ring. Uh, definitely turned on to him uh, from the tournament itself and seeing his matches with some of the big guys that we're probably both going to have right our tops. Uh, and just incredible wrestler, trained by the great Keiji Muto, a.k.a. the great Muta. Uh, used to be go, go by the great Sonata. 
if you want to see some of his makeup stuff, very similar to his mentor. Now, you know, just like Sonata, he does definitely kind of reminds me, at least visually, of Sting a little bit with what he comes out. He comes out with a leather jacket, a skull that's, that's over his face mask. I kind of wish that he would do some face paint, but, you know, maybe he's trying to say different. And a baseball bat, very reminiscent of the Crow Sting uh, of the 90s in WCW. So I really love Sonata's work in the ring, and I just think he's funny. He's also a part of my number four's uh, uh, group called uh, Lo- – I never can remember how to say this right. Can you say this for me, Chris, with NATO and Sonata? Los Probably. Los Ignorables. Los I believe my Spanish is terrible. Yeah. It's a Spanish. Yeah. And I, I don't, I know that there was like an original group that's actually uh CMML related and there's some history with this, but either way, NATO, uh, Tetsuya NATO is the leader of it. Incredible wrestler, a lot of fun. Certain things that remind me of Christian. He's, he's your lovable scumbag. Um, but he's different. He like I was telling people like I can describe most guys using other wrestlers, but with NATO it's very hard to because you can put him into like a concept like a rowdy Roddy Piper, if you will, but he's so completely different. It's just that he's good at being a scumbag, uh, and having like a look and being extremely cocky. He does like this flip into him laying around and doing the eye opening thing, you know, every so often just to piss off. He spits right in people's faces. But the fans love him for it. And he's one of the only people that can do this along with Omega. Uh, my three is Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi is just so smooth in the, in the ring. Uh, to me, he reminds me of, of uh, like, kind of like a Shawn Michaels almost. Um, much more natural, his own style altogether. Uh, maybe some Jericho traits in there too. But he's definitely the John Cena, if you will, or had been until Okada and Omega emerged of that company. Uh, you know, he put it on the map. He's much more your heroic baby face. Uh, not too much to him for his personality, but, like, as far as his in-ring work stuff, it's incredible. And he's been doing it for a while. Two, uh, Kazuka Okada. I can't – this guy's just an incredible wrestler. Um, someone – I forgot who was comparing it, but his, his performances with Omega, and, of course, we're going to get a trilogy out of this – Reminded uh, the person of the chemistry between Ric Flair and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat within their trilogy, uh, which if you haven't seen those matches, definitely check them out. Incredible stuff. Uh, But putting more Omega towards the Ricky the Steamboat, Okada just knows what he's doing in the ring. He's amazing at selling. He can work with anyone. He can make them look uh, like a million bucks. But he doesn't do too much, like, uh, crazy stuff. Uh, Actually, he saves that for my number one, which would be Kenny Omega. As um, Don Callis says, he's the greatest wrestler right now on the planet. Uh, I think him and Okada are neck and neck. And it's just so funny that they're in their own thing together. But the guy, amazing selling, amazing performance. Uh, He can be a high flyer. He can be a technical guy. He can be – he's just all around one of the most incredible wrestlers to watch. And then you have him in the ring, and he starts doing stuff like the Ultimate Warrior. and starts acting like a nut job, like – like Raven almost, and his and his uh, and his uh, his 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 uh, what you call it? His um, one of the promos. Uh, so yeah, Kenny Omega is my number one. Uh, Chris, what is your top five? I have Evil. I think Evil. I love is Evil. Very underrated in this tournament. I think that he deserves respect on this list, and I think he's going to be a huge fucking draw for New Japan going forward. I love his in style or in ring style. 
I think it's very unique. I thought the match him and Kenny Omega had was one of the best of the tournament, which we'll talk about later. Um, I'm my from the beginning of this tournament until now, he rose so high. Like his stock for me rose so high. Um, number four, I have Tanahashi. I feel like Tanahashi deserves to be higher on my list. Uh, he had a ton of great matches in the tournament as well. Even leading up to the tournament, the match him and NATO just had was pretty damn good considering that he needs arm surgery and is still wrestling. Um, John Cena style. Tanahashi is an absolute monster. Uh, my comparison for Tanahashi, very much like yours, is uh, uh, I could definitely see Shawn Michaels and, and a Chris Jericho mix. Uh, he's in ring. He's just absolutely fucking incredible, especially if you see, like, Tanahashi versus Okada. Some of the older older matches they had, or Tanahashi even versus AJ Styles. Um, absolutely incredible. And he's not a guy, I think, that gets enough credit. I, I feel like he's gotten credit when credit was due, but he was always kind of the John Cena character of New Japan. So I feel like people should really go back and watch Tanahashi. Tanahashi is amazing. He didn't have, he, I don't think he's had a single bad match in this tournament and he's still nursing an injury. Um, so one of my favorite matches was uh, Tanahashi versus Yuji Nagata in the tournament yes. in general out of all 16 nights, which I'll talk about later, but for sure. He's on my list. Uh, NATO. NATO is an absolute boss. Uh, I love everything about NATO. I love the way he carries himself. I, the, I love the way his personality works. It's very similar to what I was talking about earlier with you before the show, Dane, with Kevin Owens, where even if he's in Canada yeah. and he's like, you remember you screwed over Bret Hart, and the fans are like, you screwed Bret. And he's like, yeah, but kind, Bret kind of deserved it. And that's kind of how the feeling you get about NATO. NATO is kind of always an asshole. And not just an asshole to the establishment, but an asshole to everyone. So, like, he won the title belt. It's something that should be highly respected, and he throws it against the post. Like, NATO is very, very, like, well, his character in general is very concentrated. His group in general is very concentrated to this weird thing where – People hate them so much, they've turned to the point of wanting to cheer them. I feel like Miz has gotten there a couple times and never really crossed the point. Well, Nato was the guy that they hated for so long that he crossed the point. Like, they can't hate him because it's awesome what he's doing. Everything he does is awesome, and he has great Well, you know what's funny, Chris? And I'm – and I'll obviously let you finish your list. But with Nato, and this is what I put in that post, it's it's – you know, Jim Ross made a mention of, of him being similar to Stone Cold, and I was like, I don't get that comparison at all. I know he was going for gimmick type and, like, you know, the guy that doesn't give a shit about anyone. But, I mean, even Shawn Michaels, when he was a part of DX, had that type of concept to him. So, I, NATO is a rare breed, but I do like the Kevin Owens comparison because he does come off like that, except for KO, obviously, is not as beloved, but I guess you're right with timing with NATO. But, I don't know. Maybe Chris Jericho, I guess. Like, uh, there, Nato is kind of just by himself. I, I, I don't really know how to compare him. Is what I'm trying to well, say. Well, Nato's a bit different because he always has top faces to work against, and his entering style is very, very heel. Um, and as far as like how Japanese treats things, when someone lays down in the ring and taunts like Nato does, or spits in said Kenny Omega's face, 
um, or does something like that, disrespect in Japan is way bigger here than it is in America. You know, like it's way bigger there than it is in America. So that carries Weird. a lot of weight. So he can turn, even though the Japanese crowd goes in loving him, he can single-handedly turn that crowd around if he, you know, if he spits in Tanahashi's face, the crowd's automatically behind Tanahashi. They want to see him get his head ripped off. And NATO is the king of that. He's kind of conquered, um, as far as New Japan goes, being able to get himself over, be popular, people want to talk about him, but he can also still make them boo him, which is something that's lost on WWE. A lot, uh, I, with the exception of um, probably Kevin Owens and The Miz, where they're like, yeah, they're still going to be fans, cheer me, but most of the fans are going to hate me during the match. It's a very specific thing. It's a, it's a talent where you still want to get yourself over. You still want to be popular. You still want people to talk about you. But when it comes time to watch you in the ring, you don't want those fans to cheer for you because you're the bad guy. So it's yep. a very specific thing. And, and that's why he made my number three. I think he's brilliant. Um, Omega, we've talked so much about Omega. I feel like that this is just, you know, he's on my list. He's number two, obviously. Uh, not because Omega's not like one of the best wrestlers in the world, just because I don't think he's as good as my number one. My number one is Kazuchika Okada. Okada, they should just rename him Mr. Five Star because I don't think I've seen a bad Okada match. Like, honestly, Okada's had a bazillion good matches. He he had a better match against Yano than Kenny Omega. <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Like, Okada is the greatest of all time. We're going to get into probably... that, by the way. Nice. <laughs> We're going to get into that, by the way. I think Okada is going to go down as one of the greatest of all time. I think his finisher is so subtle and awesome that other people are now trying to rip it off. I think his gimmick is amazing. Um, I think that him hanging out with uh, Gido or Gato is amazing. Like, everything about Kazuchiko <laughs> Okada is amazing. Even to his shirt that he released in America, which was basically God Save the Queen, with a picture of him, and then below it it says, the man that makes it rain money. Like, everything about Okada is awesome. Watch an Okada match. Watch 18 Okada matches. Watch Okada versus AJ Styles, Okada versus Tanahashi, Okada versus Suzuki, Okada versus Nato, Okada versus uh, Evil. Just watch all of them, because they're all going to be great. And I don't think you can say that about every wrestler on this list, which is why I put Okada number one. And, I mean, it makes sense. I love Okada, too. I I think that he's incredible. Uh, He's got so much damn presence. Uh, I mean, the thing is about him is I can't understand his promos, and it's his charisma that battled me through that, just how, you know, chauvinistic he comes off. I I do have comparisons in my head, uh, like I've said, with Ric Flair and even The Rock to an extent. I just think that the guy has a certain look and a dynamic that's like, I'm better than you. And people have, uh, you know, I've witnessed, he gets booed against certain other baby faces that are more beloved than him because of his arrogance, I believe. And, uh, but he's an incredible fucking wrestler. And Kenny, Kenny's just great. Um, eventually, and I don't want any time soon, we have to see him and AJ at Mania. But I am loving what he's doing in New Japan. I mean, the fact that him and Jericho are both from the same city in Canada, just saying, there's greatness that comes from Canada, uh, really, with their talent. But uh, let's let's actually give it to you, Chris, uh, so you can start going over uh, the G1 tournament. We got an hour and eight minutes 
to go over a lot of this meat. Um, and I, I think that we got plenty to talk about, right? Oh, my God. We have so much meat on the bone. I had to get another beer. Jeez. Uh, I think the first thing that I want to talk about is just what the G1 is for people that maybe aren't aware or haven't been paying attention. Uh, the G1 Climax itself is a tournament held every August by New Japan, obviously, and the winner generally gets a heavyweight title shot. So, essentially, their only way to get a heavyweight title shot other than rankings in New Japan, because New Japan cares a lot about wins and losses. And it's essentially a round-robin tournament tournament with uh, winners from two blocks, basically block A, excuse me, and block B, wrestling in the final to decide uh, the year's winner. The tournament itself, I believe, lasts four weeks in total, and the winner of each block is determined by a point system. And the way the point system works is there's two points for a victory, one point for a draw, so a uh, double countout or a time limit draw, because New Japan also does time limit draws, 30-minute matches, and then zero points for a loss, which means if you lose to your opponent, you get zero points. Those points are tallied up at the end, and the top two of each block moves on to the final, and the two in the final wrestle each other. Whoever wins or whoever comes out with the most points, uh, well, basically whoever wins in that particular match, will move on to become the G1 tournament winner. Um, in the past, they've had a briefcase for this. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, I believe, in 2015, had a contract basically in a briefcase, similar to Money in the Bank, to uh, for a title match. But essentially what it means is you're going to get a title shot. So last year was uh, Omega. He won 2016, and he got a title shot. And there's a giant presentation on the win. Um, it's actually a really cool heel finish for Omega. If you watch the 2016 tournament, I believe he throws, uh, the, throws New Japan stuff down, the flag down, and then holds up a bullet club flag and waves that around. Um, but essentially how it works is a point system, very similar to uh, like hockey, for instance, in which in the regular season, if you win, you get two points. If it's a tie, you know, each each person gets one point, and if you lose, it's zero points. And that's tallied up at the end, and the top two go to the finals. And that's kind of basically how the system works. And it goes for four weeks, and, and basically everyone in Block A wrestles everyone in Block A, and everyone in Block B wrestles everyone in Block B. Um, before I go forward, I'm just going to give you the list of all the participants in Block A and B. So in block A, we have Tetsu Nato, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Bad Luck Fale, Kota Abushi, Hiroku Gotu, Tomoro Ishii, Zack Sabre Jr., uh, Togi Makabe, sorry if I mispronounced that, Yoshihashi, and uh, Yuji Nagata. In block B, we have Kazuchika Okada, Kenny Omega, Evil, Minoru Suzuki, uh, Sonata, Michael Elgin, Juice Robinson, Tamatanga, Toriyano, and uh, Kojima. I'm not going to try to pronounce his first name because I will botch that. So that is basically the rules. And I guess my first question for you, Dane, is um, how did you feel about the rules as a first-time viewer? Did you feel like it was a little convoluted? Did you feel there was a better way that they could have explained it? Um, 
And then also, what did you like and dislike about the tournament format as far as someone from, uh, as far as the first time viewer would go, because this is your first G1 tournament. So I'm just kind of curious to hear your thoughts and, and concerns and things that you think we could make better, especially for America, because this thing has been going on since like the seventies, essentially for new Japan. So. Yeah. Um, the crazy thing is I, I, for some reason assumed it was going to be a bracket style uh, competition as far as like, you know, your NBA Finals or, or uh, King of the Ring or actually their their G1 USA tournament for the USA title. I thought it was going to be something like that where people are eliminated after each match and yada, yada, yada. I didn't realize until you told me how it works. So I understand. Well, the thing is I was watching the English versions uh, with uh, Don Callis and um, Kevin Kelly doing the um, – Commenting, but I, I feel like at the beginning of the shows, a little more explanation in the stuff would help out a lot. Um, just so I know exactly what what is the basis for winning, if you will, for for each thing. So besides that, I don't I I, I don't really have a lot of problems. I, I love learning about different factions. Uh, like I said, I had to stop watching the tag team matches because they weren't actually part of the tournament. Uh, a lot of them were setting up further matches for the tournament. So I just, I, I felt like I, I need to start paying attention to the matches. But I love them, too, because a lot of you guys that were in it weren't in it like just, uh, Jushin Thunder Liger, which is someone I knew from New Japan, like Yuji Nagata, from WCW back in the day. Uh, so, you know, just seeing a lot of them come out. And also, just like I said, set-up matches uh, between different factions, having factions go against each other. Um, seeing that whole entire dynamic, there was a lot of stuff like with, with, you were going to go over it, but with Tomatonga and Kenny Omega at the beginning, you know, over who's the leader of the Bullet Club sort of shit. And that was a lot of fun to see play out because you don't see a lot of uh, storyline, if you will. It's mostly like who's the best and, you know, shit talking from each side and kind of like treated more like boxing or MMA almost. Um, but yeah, Suzuki going after Kenny Omega, it was, it was, it was great seeing what New Japan for what it is. The only gripe I have is the Yano Omega match because I felt like it just did not. The thing about with New Japan, uh, my biggest thing with them in general, um, and I mean WWE has his issues, and Lord knows AAA and uh, Global Force does too with this. It just doesn't seem, at least for the tournament itself, like the jokey stuff was really necessary, like the Three Stooges style shit. It just seemed like that was kind of out of nowhere and just kind of turned me off because you would have these immense like matches where we really believed until Dave Metzler came and cleared it up that Evil got knocked the hell out by Kenny Omega. And even though he was kind of out of it, he wasn't actually knocked unconscious. It was that they're, they're that good. So having another match where the only one that stands out to me uh, differently is the you know, Omega match. But, uh, yeah, that's the only stuff that bothered me. I, I'm having a lot of fun with the tournament, and we'll, we'll get into some of the big matches. Yeah, of course. Um, I guess before we move forward, uh, what exactly bothered you about the Yano match? Is it just Yano is in the tournament in general, or is it because Yano, the the match that Omega put on against Yano, because for me, Yano had, basically he had similar matches against other people, but they didn't play into the comedy. And I think that Kenny Omega's background in DDT and the style that he yeah. has wrestled in the past and the fact that he can change it and make it kind of comedic and do the finish that people want 
I think, made him get a lot of criticism for it. But I think the problem was, in a very serious tournament, they put Yano in the tournament. Um, I'm just curious on your thoughts, because Yano also had matches against Tanahashi and Okada, and Tanahashi and Okada just both treated them like very serious matches, and they were kind of not good matches. I mean, they were I wouldn't say they were bad matches, but they were very boring. And I at least thought the Omega-Yano match was interesting. Um, with Omega coming in super cocky and then winning by countout, kind of a weird situation, which we'll talk about the entire match, but I'm just curious on your thoughts. Do you think it was more of a mistake just putting Yano against all of these other serious wrestlers as comedy spots? I know why they did it because this is gonna it, it was levity for the show, but do you think that that hurt some of the cop? top contenders trying to have good matches because uh, Omega was obviously trying to have the best match for that crowd with that person. And they were popping for those spots. And I feel like maybe he took it just a little bit too far, but I'm just curious to hear your opinion on what, what, at least what you think about that one match before we get into this full thread of awesome matches. They're, you know, three and a half to five yeah. matches. So. Well, my, 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 my biggest thing is this, and I mean, this is new Japan in general. Uh, but especially with Yano in this situation. Like I said, I'm not saying it doesn't belong in wrestling. I'm not going to be, like, fucking, you know. Like, I love uh, uh, Corny, but, you know, Jim Cornette can kind of go off the deep end. I, I can't stand – I'm glad Stone Cold's kind of coming around, I feel like. But, like, the well, we used to just back in our dance, like, that's not anymore. But, you know – I when when my brother was watching them, I was this is why it kind of aggravated me, honestly, Chris. Is because my brother has been watching the G1 with me. Um, you know, he's not he doesn't watch wrestling anymore, but he's a big sports fan. I wanted to show him like this is if you like contact stuff. Like I love WWE, but this is where you watch matches that make you believe it's an MMA match, uh, just by how good they pull it off. And of course, the match that I decided to show him, I'm like talking about Kenny Omega the whole entire time. And the Kenny Omega match that comes on is the one with Yano. And I'm watching it like, what the fuck is this? To answer your question, no, it's not that I don't want, didn't want Yano in a tournament. Um, not, nothing to do with that. I mean, he had good matches with other guys. It just shouldn't have gone that ridiculous. You know, putting the tape around the feet and then everyone's bouncing. It, it just, I get it. It's kind of like how Mick Foley's basically telling people to fuck off and chill out with the whole him doing the, uh, the Joey Ryan uh Joey Ryan's this wrestler, kind of like Val Venus, if you will, that's very popular, and he has a move that he does with his dick, um, and basically moving the wrestler around, and Mick Foley went for the gag, and a lot of fucking people like Jim, Jim Cornette have a problem with him. They also don't like Kenny for, quote-unquote, exposing the business for having a match with a young girl, which I watched and actually was a pretty, pretty brilliantly done match for Kenny's sake, and also a blow-up doll and, and yada, yada, yada. We've seen older wrestlers do some fucking stupid shit, but none of them are going to even admit that. So that's fine. I, it's not that. It's just that I didn't think it had a place in here. Um, and maybe I'm just pissed off at the fact that when I try to show my brother this amazing uh, superstar I'm talking about, Kenny Omega, he's bouncing up and down with tape around his legs uh, while Yano's making noises and hanging him the balls. That's probably why. I... I totally understand what you're saying, and I think that match outside of the G1 tournament would have been completely fine, because it wouldn't have been a match you showed your brother. 
Uh, I think the internet kind of blew up around this match for absolutely no reason. And I think that they saw like a 30 second clip of the match, the specific spot you're talking about and didn't watch the entire match and didn't watch the crowd reactions and didn't watch, you know, the entire, they haven't watched the entire tournament tournament and realized that Kenny Omega has put out like, you know, three or four, four star matches before that and has wrestled pretty much every night. And he's, his body is pretty beaten up and broken and he's probably going to be one of the guys in the final. Um, it, right now it looks like it's going to be him versus Okada being the point system unless something crazy happens. So I feel like a lot of people are looking at it as a one-off as opposed to the story of new Japan, which is always going to be a big deal in America because I don't think that there's enough views yet. Um, what I would say about this particular match, and then we can move forward and not talk about it. And I kind of just want to hear your take on it. Was it a mistake to show him the that match? Because you could have just showed him Okada versus Omega 1? Or <laughs> do you feel like it's more of just like you wanted him to see the best in the business? Or is it that, oh, that they had a bad match? Because to me, this match is like nowhere near as close to some of the WWE matches that happened that are comedy matches like kiss my ass match between Bret Hart and Jerry Lawler, which was still a good wrestling match, but based around a gimmick that was terrible or kiss my foot, I should say, um, or, you know, Santino Morello or just some of the com- comedy, like yeah. Zanko versus the Usos, like that kind of stuff. Like none of those matches were even as close to as good as this match. So for what they did yeah. in the ring, and the levity that they were trying to bring. I'm just curious on your opinion of the match. If you take it out of that context, out of the G1, was it that terrible of a match that exposed the business and just ruined wrestling? Or no. Is no, it something it, that's just... I, I don't think it, it ruined, it exposed the business. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a, a promoter, though. Look at my behalf. I've been watching wrestling since 1987. Uh, I mean, I was real little, and I still remember watching uh, Andre get slammed. Like, that's a vivid memory in my head. But I'm not a promoter or someone who's been a part of the industry like Jim Cornette, where I've watched it evolve. And a lot of ridiculous stuff has been... But I swear to God, they all forget the early 90s where all these shit gimmicks were happening in both WCW and WWF. So, whatever. Once again... You know the 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 cat calling the kettle black style shit. It just yeah. I mean I could have showed him Okada Omega, but I've already watched it six times, so I didn't really want to watch it again. Uh, and I just thought, well, Kenny Omega's had amazing matches this whole entire time. That's fine. But you're right about the Santino Morella. It's Yano seems to be very much there, Santino Morella. And if that's the case, it's fine. Uh, you know, I, I explained to my brother. I was like, he kind of like he's uh, he's like hacksaw Jim Duggan. But he does he does Eddie Guerrero heel shit like the lie I, I cheat I steal style stuff. He goes for ball shots and stuff like that. Uh, but he's beloved by everyone, and it wasn't him. Like I said, I, I, the match itself, like you said, was choreographed great. It just was stupid and ridiculous. And after a while, I was like, man, they're just giving Kenny the night off basically. And I, I get it, but just to me, it was like it just was bad timing, I guess. I can agree with that. I was just making sure because I wanted to address some of the internet concerns on that match, which were basically like, that's the worst match we've ever seen in wrestling, which by far not 
like even close to one of the worst matches I've seen in wrestling. Shut the fuck um, up. Jesus Christ. I've seen way worse shit. Uh, I thought the match was fine. Uh, I didn't get upset by it. I think I took this. I took I took the tournament as a whole, and fans need a break from twenty minute matches. Twenty minutes, we're going to try to have outdo our opponent matches. Because as much as those, even the Japanese fans love wrestling, you kind of need that break a little bit. And uh, I thought Omega, out of everyone that's worked with him, was the only person that even tried to incorporate him into a match, into a a weird style. And I feel like Omega is going to get shit for that for the rest of his days. He, I mean, if he wrestled them just straight up, it would have just been Omega squashing him. Um, if it, like if Omega wanted that, if he just wanted to be trigger him right off the bat and win, he could have done that and no one would have gave him any shit, but I feel like he at least tried to make a good match out of it for the fans. And I appreciate that. And I think it was like, I thought it was entertaining. I do think they went kind of over the top a little bit, but you got to remember like, we're not there in the building and Omega wrestles it in the ring. They don't make all the spots like, you know, like a lot of the arrest, the American wrestlers do. So when the crowd was into it, oh, I think Omega just rolled with it. And I think John Cena probably would have done the same thing because he wrestles in the ring. And if there was a comedy spot, he probably would have rolled with it a little too long too. And I feel like a lot of fans need to watch the entire match because I thought the entire match itself was pretty good. But there was some spots in there. It's like, okay, well, I could see how old school – wrestling fans would get mad about this. But also, like, but yeah, fuck Jim Cornette. He wrestled a mummy. He wrestled a Ninja Turtle. Like, That's watch what I'm Smoky saying. Mountain. Like, it's not any better. You're wrestling a fucking Ninja Turtle. Like, one of the worst things in WCW of all time was RoboCop saving Sting. And this motherfucker oh wrestled God. a Ninja Turtle, which is way below RoboCop, in my opinion. <laughs> like, if RoboCop comes out and saves Sting... Better than Jim Cornette wrestling a fake guy in, in, a, in a fucking Ninja Turtle costume. But that's, you know, neither here nor there. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. They hated it. He hates fucking Kenny Omega to begin with for no reason at this point. But Well, you know, the thing is, Chris, I, I, feel, I feel like the people that didn't like it, that, that say stupid shit like that, like, oh, that's the worst wrestling match, they're obviously people that just don't like Kenny Omega because they're very old school in thought. And to me, that's... Just go fucking. I I uh, I don't really have time for that. I mean, if wrestling has become many different styles mixed together, many different dynamics, and I hate to say it, I remember I think it was Jr. who said it himself. Uh, but basically, like you know, he's happy because he can when he's been brought for commentary for WWE. It's been specific matches, and now it's UK and New Japan that he does primarily because they're having long, intense wrestling matches. It's more about the wrestling. And I feel like a lot of these older guys give guys shit for being in Japan and doing stuff that's kind of like, you know, comedy in their culture. And for, for that type of stuff, I don't have time for it. I, I, like, I, like I said, I respect Jim Cornette, but I think that sometimes he's just saying shit to fucking get attention. I'm sorry. But uh, let's, let's get into the actual tournament for the amount of time that we got left uh, to talk about some of these fucking amazing you know, matches outside of, obviously, uh, Kenny Omega and Yano. <laughs> what? That was the best match. <laughs> oh, God, shut up. Ugh. 
Night one, we had uh, – well, well, I guess I should preface this with block A, right? So night one was all block A. And block A is uh, Tanahashi, Nato, Bad Luck Fale, Ibushi, Zack Sabre Jr., who's been fucking amazing, by the way, uh, Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroku Gato, uh, Toji Makabe, who you think is the Japanese Undertaker, Yoshihashi, no. and – no, 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 no. Makabe is uh, Brock Lesnar meets Stone Cold. KG, or, uh, oh, Yuji Nagata is the New Japan Undertaker. That's what I said. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So the very Sorry. first match, right off the bat, this tournament, was an absolute banger because it was Yoshihashi versus Yuji Nagata. Uh, Hashi controlled the match early. He worked and got outside. Uh, he throws him back in the ring. There's a barrage. There's a uh, whole, whole little, whole little uh, fight between him and Nagata. Nagata lands one of his signatures, which is called the Ego Trip. Then he hits an exploder for a near fall. Uh, Yoshihashi tries him out of combat. Nagata drills him with a belly to belly, takes him to the top rope, and then uh, Yoshihashi hits him with a power bomb with the cover. He breaks it out. Uh, and then Nagata sinks in an arm bar for a long time. This is a long arm bar. Yep. And then eventually there was a grab at the bottom ropes. Nagata snaps the arm, hits the end of the guri, hits the back suplex, um, goes for the pin. Yoshihashi kicks out, and Nagata goes for another. And then uh, he pins him with a small package for a near fall. And then uh, Yoshihashi goes for Karma, which is his finisher. Nagata fights back. Yoshiashi fires back and lands. It uh, fires his finisher back, lands it for a pinfall. How did you feel about the first match of the G1? Right off the bat, I, I was able to get reintroduced to a Japanese legend that I said I kind of knew from his small time uh, getting uh, managed, I think, by Sonny Ono in WCW uh, back when they were doing stuff with New Japan. And uh, also, I, f- I forgot I forgot the other guy's name, uh, the blonde gentleman. Yoshihashi. Uh, yeah, both of them are incredible. Uh, the fact that Nagata is like 47, I think, and able to move like that is ridiculous. Uh, the man's a freak, uh, just back and forth. It's so sequenced. And to see one of the new, new generation uh, wrestlers versus one of the old-school generation wrestlers in this intensive a match with this much firepower was awesome. And before, it was before he even did the eye-rolly thing. Uh, I didn't know he did that with his armbar, which is fucking awesome. I just was like, I realized this guy's been with New Japan. He is kind of like a Undertaker in sorts of, like, the older guy amongst all these younger wrestlers or, or, or later generation wrestlers. And I just had a lot of fun with the match. And I like that, you know, he does get some wins, but Yuji, Yuji Nagata, for the most part, uh, you know, put a lot of guys over. Very old school. Of course. Yeah, very very much so. And I, the armbar spot was awesome. Like, fucking <laughs> awesome. With Yoshi. And by the way, by the way, people that are listening, if, so you understand what I'm talking about with the Undertaker comparison if you don't know Yuji Nagata. When he does his armbar, there's a part where, I mean, he really looks like he's dislocating the friggin' thing because of how far back he's bringing the, the arm. 
but his eyes go roll in the back of his head, Undertaker style, if you will, while he's really like intense. And it's kind of like like it translated when you watch it, like he's going to Super Saiyan mode or some shit. It's awesome. He looks like he's fucking orgasming while he's torturing someone. Is the best the best yes. way I can put it. Like, yeah, it's awesome. Um, I'm just gonna go over the rest of the matches real quick, uh, and then if I hit one that you want to talk about, we'll stop. Uh, Bad Luck Wale defeated uh, Toji Makabe. I thought that was a good match. Um, not sure how you felt uh, felt about it. And then um, Goto I like guys a lot. Defeated, yeah, me too. I thought this was an okay match for both of them. It was kind of a slow match, but it wasn't a yeah. bad match. It was it was good. Uh, go to versus uh, Tamaru Ishii. Um, once again, I thought that I thought that was a, a good match with uh, uh, Goto going over on Ishii. And then the match of the night that I had was uh, Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Tanahashi, which I thought was a Ooh. huge deal. So uh, they started out with some just simple mat wrestling and just like basically just taking each other down. And then Tanahashi eventually um, out wrestled Sabre. And then he goes for an elbow, but uh, Sabre just kind of moves out of the way and launches into, or latches onto Tana, I should say latches, launches onto Tanahashi's injured bicep, which everyone knows it's a legit injury. And he just starts working that for a while. Um, and Sabre would, like, immediately start just beating on those joints the entire match. Uh, Tanahashi, Tanahashi eventually reverses it, goes for a cloverleaf. Uh, Sabre grabs the ropes. Uh, Tanahashi goes for a sling blade, but uh, Saber latches on and grabs the bicep once more, and basically he just uh, works that bicep for forever, and then finally he executes it. Uh, he Finally, Tanahashi goes, like, gets a move off, and he goes for the high flow, or uh, high fly flow, he connects, takes out the Desperado on the outside, and Saber latches on a submission. Um Basically, what happens here is Sabre works the arm for the entire match. Tanahashi sells like a champ, and the Tanahashi ends up tapping out to Zack Sabre Jr., which was a huge deal because Zack Sabre yep. Jr. in this match was not favored at all against Tanahashi. They pe- People thought they were going to push that Tanahashi versus uh, NATO final again, and I thought this was a really good match. Uh, all things considering with uh, Tanahashi's injury, and he clearly showed that he's gonna he's gonna fucking fight this entire thing out. So, what did you think about that match? That was my favorite match of the night. If there's another one you want to talk about, we'll stop. But that's the end of night one was uh, Nato versus Ibushi, and I thought that was a great match too. But this one to me really stood out, um, spe- specifically for Zack Sabre Jr. and the way he was able to work uh, Tanahashi's body parts. Um, to kind of build the story. I thought it was a really, really good match. No, I mean, Zack Sabre Jr. is absolutely incredible. The first time I got introduced by, to him, um, someone posted, I think it was actually Ricky, a uh, gif of someone doing a 360 spin off the top ropes and Zack catching them in the air with his fucking, you know, into an arm bar basically immediately. Like, the guy is a freak the way he can bend. Uh you know, he seems like he can go into a uh, submission hold with these, kind of like a very similar to Dean Malenko almost in a way. Like, he is incredible. It was a great match back and forth. I did not see that coming. If if my memory suits me right, I believe that uh, 
he started undoing the tape and started punching uh, Tanahashi in that area. I'm pretty sure, unless that was a different match altogether. Uh, oh, so many good match. wrestling matches. Yeah, I mean, just so so believable and and uh, ruthless. And yeah, I did not see that coming. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. And the last match uh, between Nato and Ibushi, we don't have to go too much into detail about it, but that was also a great match. The Haas matches were great, but it's funny because uh, guys like uh, Ishii and, and uh, uh, Goto and um, you know Makabe, they work better with a smaller guy. Like especially since all these small guys, maybe not Zack Sabre Jr., but they're freaks in which they like Kenny Omega can lift all these dudes. Well, he couldn't do bad luck folly, but it's just it, great tournament, great first night, great first impressions for me. All right, so night two is the start of our block B matches, and right off the bat we have uh, Juice Robinson versus Satoshi uh, Kojima. Hope I pronounced his name right. If not, I'm sorry. I thought this was a very good match. I thought Juice. Uh, Juice Robinson, once again, proved himself as a wrestler. Um, then the next match we had was Tamatanga versus Michael Elgin. Prize victory, because I did not expect Tama to win this match. Um, Elgin went for his springboard, and then Tonga hit, met him with, a, with the gun strike, which is a signature move. And then go, he went to the top rope. Elgin had Tonga latched on for what looked like the Falcon Arrow, but Tonga transitioned it into a gun stun in midair and landed it for the win. It was a great finish. It was kind of a weird thing that you kind of have to see. I don't think it was the best match of the night, but I feel like I needed to call out that spot. So if you, if you get a chance to watch that match, definitely watch the end spot of Tama Tonga versus Michael Elgin. Also, it was kind of cool that uh, – Tama got a win because they seem like they're pushing Elgin pretty hard recently. Um, Sonata defeated Evil. I thought that was also a, a decent match. And then Okada beat Nano or Yano, which uh, Toriano Yano, which was a uh, comedy match for the most part. And uh, Okada ended up getting the victory. And then the match of the night was definitely Omega beating Minoru Suzuki. And basically, it was. It seemed like Suzuki played it off as he was hurt for the most part of the match, from what I remember. And then it kind of went to the outside, and then Suzuki started hitting Omega with chair shots. Omega fired back with some chair shots of his own, and Suzuki and them both ended up back in the ring. Um, Suzuki hit... Uh, that Omega hit like a one-legged moonsault. I don't know if you saw that. It was pretty crazy. And they went for the V-trigger, but hit the referee instead. So there was a big ref bump. And, of course, with there being no referee, that meant uh, El Desperado, Tachi, and Takamichinoku came in to lay out uh, Omega. Chase Owens tried to make the save, but was taken care of. Folly followed, taking care of all of Suzuki's three gun members pretty easily. Omega hit a giant springboard cross body over the barricade, barricade to lay them both out. Then, uh, then Omega and Foley took, or Owens and Foley took them back, uh, took them back to the back as Suzuki and Red Shoes recovered in the ring. Omega went for a V trigger off the top rope. Suzuki latched on the injured leg and applied a knee lock. Suzuki continued to wear him down, going for the sleeper until Omega started to fight back. And then basically Suzuki worked the leg for a while. Until Suzuki reared back, um, and then signaling from the uh, from the dead to apply the 
the sleeper. So basically, Omega got advantage in. Um, did you get a sleeper on him? Omega powered out of the sleeper hole, hit the V trigger, then tried for uh, tried for another, got derailed. Omega hit a reverse Hurricane Rana that didn't completely connect, but followed it up with two V triggers, finished Suzuki with a one wing angel. So basically, this match was the end spots of the match. I thought it was a good, good match between the two, similar to the the earlier match they had in July. Um, you had a reverse Hurricane Rana. You had two two V triggers, which is the running high knee, and then you also had the one wing mm-hmm. angel. I feel like he's using the V trigger even more now uh, that Seth Rollins was going to start use it using it like just as a setup move. I think that's kind of funny, but uh, what was your opinion on this night? And did you have a favorite match that I didn't talk about? Or did you have a favorite match of the night? I guess I should say this whole, this, that whole night uh, setting up from the beginning with the tag match was Suzuki and Kenny Omega. And the, the guy, you know, I never saw him in the ring. I've seen a lot of him lately. I didn't know he's the leader of one of the factions. Uh, just that he comes out to that, like, nice pretty song and is just menacing presence uh god i wish that we could have him and brock lesnar go at it i was surprised to find out they never did anything when uh, brock was in new japan but suzuki might have been mma at the time or something else but he's just he's a scary look he's got a, he's got a championship like the open weight title i didn't even know that existed um but yeah uh i like seeing kenny a different style and what i mean by style is that I, I like in New Japan that, you know, for some reason, time count matters when the ref gets around to it and they mostly, like, go through the audience and beat the crap out of each other and they can hit each other with chairs. And for some reason, that can just, you know, be cool. That's one thing I kind of learned and don't really care about. It. I think that's actually kind of neat. But um, just a fucking awesome match. Uh, like seeing Suzuki. He's scary as shit. I love that Kenny was, was genuinely frightened or at least obviously put that off. Uh, so, yeah, uh, probably the, my favorite match of the night. So, from A Block, we have Nito at two, Sabre Jr. at two, Hiroku Gatsu at two, Yoshihashi at two, Bad Luck Folly at two, everyone else at zero in Block A. In Block B, we have Omega at two, Tamatanga at two, Kazuchiko Okada at two, Sonata at two, and Juice Robinson at two, with everyone else at zero. That moves on to night three. In night three. In the beginning. In the beginning. We had a Heroku Goto beating Nagata, which I thought was kind of weird. Um, there was a really cool spot where Gato, uh, Nagata landed a, uh, like a spinning heel kick, and Gato fired back with a headbutt, then landed the, he landed his GGR, which is go to, go to rest or go to sleep for the win, basically. Um, I thought that was a really good match. It was kind of weird being the opener, but I thought it was a good match. Um, it's not my highlight match, but it's on the list of things to talk about. Um, yeah, Ishii beat Makabe. I thought that was an okay match. It wasn't like it didn't blow my mind or anything. So if you're listening, you could maybe skip that one. Just depends on who you are. Oh, my computer. Don't go to sleep. Okay, cool. Uh, I had Kota Ibushi defeating Zack Sabre Jr. as my match of the night. And it basically, yeah. uh, Sabre started early. 
taking down Abushi to the ground. After a bit of striking session by Abushi, Sabre took him down again and focused on one of Ibushi's legs, then worked on other parts of the body, taking control of Ibushi's wrist. So he basically started working the leg and then working the wrist. Ibushi was caught by a chokehold by Sabre, which was just a standard submission, then transitioned out of it, actually reversed it. He let go and struck Sabre with a vicious kick that put him in control of the match. Ibushi went for a standing moonsault, but Sabre caught him with a triangle. Ibushi immediately went to the ropes for an escape. Sabre put Ibushi in an octopus hold and tried to follow with a sunset flip by Ibushi responded with a double foot stomp instead. Both on the floor, they started striking each other and continued to do so as they got up. Abushi went for a Pele kick, but Sabre grabbed his ankle and wrapped him into an inverted STF, which was a fucking awesome spot. Sabre caught him as they both got up, but Abushi controlled Sabre's wrist and hit a knee strike to his face. Sabre went for a triangle until Ibushi deadlifted him and hit the press powerbomb for the win. Great match. It was fucking awesome. I thought it was really cool how they worked a ton of UFC stuff in there. They did a lot of what um, WWE tries to do when they have Samoa Joe versus like Brock Lesnar and they try to switch off holds. I thought this was awesome. Um, how did you feel about this particular match, Dane? <laughs> Match was incredible. I mean, I knew the two of them I've seen separately. I knew that they would work really well in the ring. Uh, they're both very physical wrestlers, but slim, uh, can move very fast. Uh, Kota Bushi's obviously good more with the high flying, while uh, Zach's good with the uh, technicality, but they're both amazing at both aspects anyways. I mean, they were just able to do a lot of great sequences and uh, definitely enjoyed that, that match. Uh, none of the other matches were bad at all. They just that was probably the best one and definitely the highlighted one of that night. I mean, they had absolute, like, standout, 100% standout performances, especially on the outside of the ring and the way they reversed each other's um, submission holds and stuff. It was it was amazing. Uh, the rest of the matches were really good, too. I mean, Tanahashi was on this card, so it's not like they're going to be bad. Uh, Tanahashi defeated yeah. Tad Luxley by countout. Nato defeated Yoshihashi. Just beat him. One, two, three. And that was the end of the night. And where we get at the standings now is Nato at four. Go, uh, Goto at four. Sabre Jr. at two. Got a W. Hashi at two. Bad Luck Folly at two. Ishii at two. Kota Ibushi at two. Tanahashi at two. Nagata at zero. Makabe at zero. Block B is the same as we said before. That would changed, obviously, since... Night four is block B. All right, Dane, is this enough New Japan for you? We're probably only going to make it until where you got to in the actual tournament, I think. Hey, that's fine with me, man. This night, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, this is uh, Omega and um, Tamatanga's big confrontation, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. But it's not listed as my match of the night. It's not even listed as my match of the night, which is just – Shows it wasn't the greatest it match. It's more the concept uh, building up to it between, you know, Bullet Club having some problems. So we had Yano versus Kojima. I thought that was a, a very even match. I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was great. Um, uh, Yano ended up winning the match. Evil beat Juice Robinson. I was kind of surprised by that, but I thought it was a really good match, especially at the start. Um, it kind of petered out at the end. 
They didn't have enough Viagra or something. But I thought it was a decent match. Uh, Suzuki defeated Sonata. And then Omega defeated Tomatonga. And if you want to take a quick second, we can talk about the Tonga match. Uh, So basically, like, Tonga jumped Kenny Omega as soon as the bell rung. Like, there was a huge problem between those two. And then Tonga took the mic and basically shit-talked the elite. Essentially, he he talked about about the uh, Young Bucks and Omega specifically, and then they came back in the ring, and, and Tonga worked on Omega's injured leg from the Suzuki match. He had a DDT. Omega started building some cement, uh, some momentum back, hit a leg layer at Hurricane Rana, wiped him out with a uh, top rope Conheo, and then he took out uh, – He and basically, Omega was going for the V-trigger – Tonga fired back, hit a spear. Tonga hit a Pele kick, but Omega responded with two V-triggers. He went for the one-winged angel until Tonga countered it with an inverted DDT, which was, like, a really cool spot to see someone slide off that and hit, like, Sing's finisher. I thought that was cool. And then Tonga tried for the gun stun, but Omega lifted him back up, laid him out, hitting the one-winged angel for the win. It was a good match. It was very, very fast. It involved the Bullet Club. And it was basically Omega saying, like, there's a reason I'm the leader um, as far as in storyline goes. How did you feel about the match, Dean? I liked the match a lot. I liked the buildup, too. Like I said, I liked the, a little bit of uh, throwing that in there. It makes sense that we see that with the Bullet Club uh, because they've had, well, basically, they've had four leaders, but technically the three ones everyone knows of is Finn Balor, AJ Styles, and now Kenny Omega. Carl Anderson was in there, too, but he was representing one side while AJ was over in Japan, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but, you know, there's always been guys, like Adam Cole for exist, or for, for uh, right now, and now obviously Cody Rhodes is having this issue, that kind of claimed the leader. And uh, we saw this in the tag match on night three, in which uh, basically it was – now this is where comedy really worked for me within the wrestling match, is that uh, I forgot who uh, Tomatonga was wrestling with, but they had him opposite of Kenny Omega – and another tag person, and Tomatonga, you know, was telling him to yell at the guy in his corner um, uh, for for going after Kenny Omega, not making it easy on him, basically, like, you know, just dropping down. So he tags Tomatonga, and Tomatonga's going along with it, and then starts beating the crap out of Kenny Omega and going after that injury because he wants to go, you know, against him and have an advantage the next night for their their match. But the build-up was great. The shit-top was great. It was fun, and at the end, it was good to see, like, the whole, like, I'm the leader. That's how it's going to be. But I, I, I did enjoy it. Uh, some of that Americanism uh, wrestling stuff thrown in there, if you will. I, I will go ahead and say this about Tamatanga. I think he is a better promo than he is in the wrestling ring, but I think he's getting there in the wrestling ring as far as the New Japan style goes, and I, I feel like he could be a massive star, maybe even more so, I hate to say this, than Kenny Omega in America, if did him right, especially mm-hmm. if he was anti-Roman Reigns. <laughs> I mean, it could work, totally. man. He's kind of like Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins' uh, kid. He's actually uh, Haku, a.k.a. Ming's child, him and uh, Tamaro, Tamaro, his tag team uh, brother and uh, partner, uh, they're both the child of him, but uh, I like him, especially on the mic. He's pretty damn 
despicable and says whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah, I thought he I thought he was really good here, and I thought he's been really good in the G1 tournament. As far as getting himself over, I, I think he's been doing a really good job. Um, then my match of the night was Okada versus Michael Elgin. I don't – I this was the best match of the night. As far as just sheer wrestling goes, uh, obviously there was a lot of suplexes, a lot of back and forth between the two, a lot of clotheslines. Uh, German German suplexes once again. Uh, I'm not going to go through the entire transcript of this match, but if, out of the four nights we've had thus far, this is the one match I think was most C. Uh, I thought Sabre versus Tanahashi was very, very up there, but this was like one of my favorite matches out of the four nights. Did you happen to catch this one, and what did you think? And which match are we talking about? I'm sorry. Elgin versus Okada. Elgin versus Okada, man. This is the second time I think I've seen these guys go at it, and they have pretty good chemistry. Uh, Elgin can move for his size. Uh, I don't know, man. He's he's definitely different. I didn't realize he's from Ring of Honor originally. Um, he used to actually have hair. Uh, but a big dude, uh, not as big as Bam Bam Bigelow, but that type of concept. But he can move. Pretty damn good match. Yeah, there was a great spot where he hit a buckle bomb and went for his finisher, and Okada escaped. And yep. then Elgin caught him and then just hit another power bomb and then just, like, went for his burning hammer finisher again. But Okada landed on his feet and hit a Rainmaker, which was, like, a was great amazing. transition. Um, I thought this was a great match. And then Okada hit a promo to end the, she- the, end the show out. Um uh, I thought Okada versus Elgin got the match of the night, even though I really was pulling for Tamatanga, but they they gimmicked the match a little too hard, um, which they had to because you still got to be part of the Bullet Club. But uh, this match was my favorite match of the night. So uh, the current standings after that after night four was Nato four, Gato four, Saber two, Hashi two, Bad Luck Folly two. Ishii 2, Ibushi 2, Tanahashi 2, and that's in Block A. Everyone else that wasn't mentioned, such as Nagata and Makabe, they're at zero. Block B, Omega 4, Okada 4, Tonga 2, Sonata 2, Juice Robinson 2, Evil 2, Yano 2, which is very surprising, Suzuki 2, Elgin 0, and Kojima 0. So the fact that Michael Elgin was at zero at this point was kind of baffling to me because I thought he would at least blow through one opponent. Um, I don't know. How did you feel about the entire, like, the point system at this point? Uh, Makes sense for the most part. I mean, they still have Omega and Okada, kind of top guys leading their uh, things. Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying about the Michael Elgin thing because it seems like they've been pushing him lately. Uh, but then again, I don't know who specifically he went against uh, before this, but he was going against Okada, so there's a good chance he was going to lose uh, just based on that. But, um, yeah, kind of makes sense to me. All right, so right off the bat, night five, the match of the night for me was Tanahashi versus Yuji Nagata. And I thought everyone online talked about this match. Like anyone who was anyone was talking about this match. I thought it was a brilliant fucking match. 
But it wasn't the first match of the night. <laughs> the first match of the night was Zack Sabre Jr. putting Yoshihashi. It was a good match. It was fine. But then we got into Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Nagata, and it was amazing. The crowd was super into it. Um, just a great back-and-forth type of match. Right off the bat, Tanahashi took him down and applied a figure four lay lock, and Nagata got it out, turned around, of course, reversed it. Then Tanahashi reversed it back, and then Nagata got the ropes, and he turned it back. They got up in the center of the ring. They started striking each other. Tanahashi hit the sling blade, or tried to hit the sling blade, and Nagata grabbed him, and then Tanahashi flipped it around for a German suplex which was absolutely insane. The sequence was crazy. I can't even explain how awesome it was. Um, after that, Tanahashi's arms, uh, uh, Tanahashi pulled out some weird arm bar and then took him to the corner and unleashed like a huge suplex and pinned him. Tanahashi, or I don't know, it was Nagata. Nagata like trapped Tanahashi. He grabbed his arms because Tanahashi's arms is, Injured, so they're going to keep selling it. Then he hit a, he hit like a huge suplex out of a the corner. Then he hit a brain buster and he got two count. Um, they got back up. Tanahashi countered a back suplex into a crossbody, hit a sling blade, went for the high fly flow, but Nagata met him in the middle of the air, or met him at the top in two battles. Tanahashi headbutted him and knocked him out and then hit the high fly flow, went for the cover, and then that was the end of the match. So, how did you feel about that one? And fucking credible. Uh, two uh, legends of New Japan uh, putting on a fucking incredible match like both of them are in their 20s. Um, obviously, Yuji Nagata is older, but the, man, the, the man's able to, you know, work very quickly, uh, very specifically, and just be able to pull stuff off, you know, like, like the guys they shouldn't be able to do, basically. Like, the guy's, like, I think five or six years older than Jericho. And I'm not saying that Jericho's, like, a testing, uh, you know, standard for oldness or anything like that, but I'm just saying. Like, the guy's been in the business for a while, and it was very impressive to see him and Tanahashi pull off this stuff. I love the sequences. I love that about uh, New Japan. Sometimes I kind of wish that they would just do, uh, you know, I don't want to sound too old school, like, contradicting what I said beforehand. Once in a great while, I wish that they did a match where someone just won with their finisher, and it was just extended uh, instead of, like, you know, it, it kind of, like, uh, pulls the flavor a little bit out of it when you know it's probably going to go back and forth. But then, obviously, it's about guessing when it's actually going to happen. I'm not saying WWE doesn't do this either. I wish kind of everyone would adopt it once in a while. I just think it makes the finishers a little bit weaker, but it wasn't a fucking awesome match. And, you know, for all the sequences I got out of that, I guess I really shouldn't be complaining, to be honest with you. Well, I thought this was pretty good as far as finisher goes because they, like, neither of them, well, Nagata hit his finisher and Tanahashi kicked out, which makes sense because it's Tanahashi. But then, like, the high fly flow, Nagata blocked it, and then he came back and still hit it, which was, like, that's a good point. A really good, it was a good guy move, you know? Like, yeah, you want the good guy to win. And uh, next we had Bad Luck Folly, who beat Naito, which was very win. Uh, it's very, like, surprising for Folly to beat Naito. Uh, a great match. It was a good match. I feel like um, Folly's not a bad wrestler, but he has his matches against certain people. 
that he can really work with, and I don't know that Naito is one of those guys. Not that Naito is a bad wrestler. I just think Fale is very particular about his style and maybe some people will understand him better than others. Uh, Abushi versus uh, Ishii. I thought it was a fine match, uh, and Abushi ended up winning the match, but I didn't think it was like anything to write home about. And then we had uh, Makabe versus Gojo. I actually thought this was the second best match of the night. Mm-hmm. And Makabe defeated Goto. And it, it was a fine match. I There's not a whole lot to talk about. Makabe cut a promo. Um, there wasn't anything crazy about the promo. The the Fale nato match was pretty great. Um, God. They, I mean, that will no. The Fale nato match was average in comparison to the rest of my. I thought that was like one of the weakest matches. They just didn't hook up. The Nagata Tanahashi match was was pretty. I mean, all all the shit's so good, dude. I'm like mixing yeah. up stuff now. Hold on. Uh, the nato match was not the best, and every other match on this card for night five was pretty fucking good. Saber versus Yoshihashi. Tanahashi versus Yuji Nagata. Um, that, like, Fale versus Nato, you could probably skip that one. Not because I don't love Nato, but just because it wasn't that great of a match. They just, they don't, I don't feel like they have good chemistry. And then Ibushi versus uh, Ishii was... I like that match, awesome. actually, a lot. It was a good match. And then I, I thought the Makabe goto match was fine. It yeah, wasn't great, that but was it also too. wasn't bad. So, good hot battle. Our- yeah, they just kind of beat the shit out of each other for a while. It wasn't... I don't know. It didn't really blow me away. Here, here's a question for you, Chris. Especially... Um, just because I know that, obviously, you love New Japan. I'm getting introduced to it. Do those constant sequences kind of bother you every once in a while? Like, what I mean by that is, like, when the two hosses are usually in the ring, they'll have a part where, you know, one slams the chest into the other and then kind of do that, like, almost in every single one of them. Or the trend, the trades of elbows, where it's kind of like no one would actually do that in a real fight. I'm not, I'm not trying to compare it to something with WWE because I have my problems with them. But the, do st- repetitive things like that kind of seem predictable to you a little bit with New Japan? I mean, I mean, there's always going to be a sense of predictability in a fixed fight, right? So the way I look yeah, at it, that's the point. It's, I mean, it's wrestling. Wrestling is wrestling, you know. Like, there's predictability in comic book movies. There's predictability in anything if you want to look that hard into it. Um, what there's I nothing predictable say, about comic book movies. How dare you? Uh, what I would say about all of that is, um, no, I didn't feel uncomfortable about anything that they did. It's just, you see so many people wrestle the same people. Um in the D1, it gets even weirder because they're wrestling so close together. If they were wrestling like Monday Night Raw or SmackDown where it's one show every week, I feel like they would book this out a lot better like they do with normal New Japan shows, and this yeah. wouldn't be a thing for you. But the fact they're wrestling like every two days, yeah, you're going to see a lot of the same sequences. Oh. They're going to look a lot of the same because a lot of the wrestlers have similar styles. So it's kind of a weird... Well, the weirdest situation. Gato, man, he does a great job regardless. I, I was just wondering if it kind of irritates you sometimes. Uh, 
Yes and no, but I'm going to say go ahead and say no because I'm normally watching like one New Japan thing uh, every half month, right? As opposed to yeah. every four weeks, a bunch in a row. So it's not really fair for me to give them a criticism on that. That's a good point. Okay. All right, so we're in night six. Jesus. We're trying to truck through this. I told Dana ahead of time, there's a lot of G1. There's a lot of G1. There is a lot of G1, really true. Um, and this was the, the the match of the night, or the anti-match of the night, was the, to me, oh, yeah. was, uh, was the thing we've already talked about, which is Omega, oh, the Ono, it's not Omega, Okada, that would be awesome. Uh, Yano versus Omega. Yano? Um, which was already, that was, that was night six. When y- when Omega beat beat Toru Yano, comedy spot. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, said Bono, yeah, yeah. like from you two. Never oh, mind. Bono. I want to see oh, Kenny Omega beat Bono. That'd be awesome. Just sits the V trigger. Oh. <laughs> Hard as shit. Gives him an actual concussion. Then <laughs> says the world is not enough for no reason. <laughs> Good night, bangs. <laughs> You won't say um, it's a beautiful day after that shit. Man, I'm going to give the match of the night to Evil and Tamatanga. I agree. It's kind of crazy as that sounds, but the rest of the, sh- the rest of this particular night was not that great. Um, Okada versus Sonata was okay. The rest of it was just kind of yeah. blah. We can talk- I don't feel like we need to talk about that one match again because we already did. Yeah. But, eh. All right, Dave. So we honestly have 10 minutes left. So I'm going to run down the standings from Knights. One through seven. One to six. Okay. One to six. I'm not going to go to seven. Because <laughs> I feel like we got, we might as well save the rest. <laughs> because I don't think we're going to get through all of it. I don't think anyone who's yeah. listening to this who hasn't saw it is going to get through all of it either. But at least they'll know what watches, like what matches to watch. I'll try to post my highlight matches on the uh, on Geek Vibes as soon as this is over. Yeah, Chris, Chris will try to post up some of the some of the uh, the matches to watch for the to, for the climax. I gave the link towards uh, something to be able to get to you to that if you want to watch all of them. And just check it out, man. It's a great uh, thing to, uh, you know, transition. But we will be going over a majority of the ending of the tournament with uh, Mr. Thomas Brewington. We're very happy to have him back on the show next Wednesday, as well as uh, go more Raw and SmackDown leading to uh, SummerSlam. But what were the standings after night six, sir? The standings after night six. Mayo, four. Goto, four. Zack Sabre Jr., four. Ibushi 4, Bad Luck Fale 4, Tanahashi 4, Makabe 2, Yoshihashi 2, Terome, oh man, I can never pin- pronounce Ishii's first name, Ishii 2, Nagata 0, which I was very surprised. They were bearing Nagata, but he had such great matches. Nagata actually MVP of this tournament. Um, Absolutely. B, Omega 6, Okada 6, 
Suzuki 4, Evil 4, Yano 2, Tamatanga 2, Sonata 2, Juice Robinson 2, Elgin 2, Kojima 0. So, we have a lot to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we do have a lot to talk about. And the fact that soon we'll be getting Omega versus Okada 3. Um, Here's a question, actually. Before I get the hell out of here, I had to ask you. If this is all about a title shot, why the fuck is Okada uh, participating in it? Is it just because of the prestigiousness of winning the G1? Has he won the G1? I believe Okada has won the G1, but also, yes, the prestige of winning the G1. And also, if he wins the G1, no one can fight him for his title, which is just typical. That's part of Okada's character. He's the rainmaker. And if you win the G1, in theory, you make the most money out of the G1. They don't play that angle up enough as far as the English announcers go, but uh, the Japanese announcers, if you translate it, they talk a lot about how much money the wrestlers win off each match, or at least they used to. I haven't listened in a while. But the idea is, like, if you win the match, win more money than the loser similar to, like, a boxing match or any other kind of match. So the idea is, like, he's the rainmaker. He only cares about winning. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Crazy. I'm looking at the uh, winners throughout the years. And uh, the international, this is not the G1, but the International Wrestling Grand Prix, Hulk Hogan won it in 1983. Then Antonio Inoki, and then Andre the Giant, and then Antonio Inoki uh, won it three years in a row after that. Uh, that's uh, interesting. A lot of people don't know. If you guys actually want to see Hulk Hogan uh, wrestle matches, check any of his New Japan stuff. Uh, it's actually a hell of a lot more um, it's not as played out as the stuff that he would, you know, do over and over again in the states. Uh, but d- some of these past, I was going to some of these past G1 uh, climax matches, and between Keiji Muto in '95 and just so many other, it's they're they're pretty incredible to watch. So we're going to find out who wins 2017. We're getting Kenny Omega versus, uh, what you call it, Okada again for the third time. Uh, and, you know, when it comes to these trilogy matches, these always build up in such an awesome way, so I can't wait to see that. And uh, who knows? Actually, Okada did win it in 2014. So we have Kenny who won it last year, Tanahashi won it the year before that, Okada the year before that, NATO, and then Okada won it the year before that too. Wow. So, and then Shinsuke and Nakamura. Think... Man, you but, uh, remember yeah. when Shinsuke Nakamura was good? It was awesome. NXT wasn't too bad, but yeah, man, I know. But, hey, <laughs> great match for John Cena besides dumping him on his fucking neck. Um, and I'm glad that he's going against Jinder, but I don't think he's going to win. But we'll talk more about that next week. But, yeah, that, that that is actually a good question. We didn't talk about this on air. we got five minutes to kill. I don't think it was all, you know, Shinsuke's fault. And I think John Cena handled it with a lot of class because I think that John was thinking backdrop, I guess, instead of his reverse exploder and didn't do the moonsault. And, you know, you saw the, the them talking to each other a little bit. And uh, obviously you, you, you could see that Shinsuke was nervous and worried throughout the rest of that match, kept them staring at him after he beat him. And then apologizing to him and John Cena, being such a stand-up awesome dude that no one realizes that he is, you know, told him, 
they have nothing to apologize about. But how did you – did you watch that live, and were you nervous when you saw that? I watched it the next day, and I heard hot takes from you and Juwan. So my thought was, oh, shit, something went really bad. Because usually when you guys say something is bad, it's, like, really bad. Normally when I say something is bad, it's, like, all oh, they just bots like a spot and no one noticed. <laughs> because I'm like, oh, my God, she just dumped yeah. her on her head. <laughs> but, like, nah, it was bad. Uh, it was a bad spot. But it's it wasn't his fault. They just both – they were just out of sync with each other. And he went for an exploder instead of a back body drop. And John Cena just kind of, like, light-lifted. And what happened was he got dumped on his neck. And he popped back oh. up. I mean, John Cena's got a thick-ass neck, so he's – he was probably fine. Such a stand-up um, guy, though. I thought it was fine where he's like, look, dude, I put you over. Anyone that says John Cena buries people at this point is retarded. John Cena has done nothing but put people over for the past two years. Two, three years. And the reason he buried so many people before is, like, name a talent besides, like, CM Punk, which he put over, that is worthy of putting over. When you think about it, like, the roster was so depleted. When John Cena was actually burying people, he wasn't burying people. He was just the best of the best. Other than that, like, he put AJ over. He's put – he put – he even put – he put Miz over. Like, he put um, – he put Nakamura over KO. recently. He Styles over. He put Kevin Owens over. Like, I think the negative opinion of John Cena should weigh and people should, like, start cheering for John Cena because John Cena is having good matches with whoever they put him against. Granted, they're not Okada matches, but, like, he's doing a really fucking good job inside of a WWE ring. And I don't know that there's been that many people that have been involved with that many good matches. They're like, well, Chris that's because they give him the best opponents. And I'm like, yeah, well, did you watch Nakamura versus fucking Ziggler? Because that was not that good. But John Cena versus Nakamura was pretty good. So I'm just saying. Might have something to do with John Cena. I know. It's And the thing is, I mean, maybe with me to an extent with Okada, maybe the reason I, I... uh, you know, gravitate more towards Omega's because he does flashier things. But Okada and John Cena are great because they're just good at their fucking job. They know what they're doing. I mean, they know what they're there for. They know how to sell. They know how to put you know feats of strength into it. And I think that's why, like to me, out of out of the four favorites that I have, I want to see John Cena go against Okada and AJ work with Omega. But you know, I I feel like that's a lot of people. Anyways, uh, what were you going to say, Chris? Actually, close out. Say what you're going to say, and then uh, say goodbye to the good people. Okada's the greatest of all time. No more champion is going to hold that belt for forever. Ain't nobody taking it from Okada. Well, you know, I guess uh, that could be true, but we don't know. Hold on. All right, anyways, but uh, thank you guys for listening to another episode of Wrestling East Alliance. Check us out every Wednesday. Next week, we've got Thomas Brewington joining us again, talking more G1 and a little bit of Summer Slammage. And, of course, watch uh, Geek Vibes Live uh, this Saturday. We have What's Good on the show. It starts at 8, goes until 10. 
Every Saturday, 8 until 10 with us. Every time. You guys have a good one out there. Hey, Bubs. This is Cal Dodd. You're now listening to Geek Vibes Live.